0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the SlashFilmcast, the official podcast of SlashFilm.com. I'm David Chen, and joining me today, he is the editor-in-chief at SlashFilm.com, Peter Saretta. Peter, how are you doing today?
1: David, I am exhausted, but happy to be here. I've just gotten off uh, two weeks of con- convention travel from London to San Diego, and I'm finally home.
0: Awesome. Well, welcome home and welcome back to SlashFilmCast. Joining us also from the inside of your house, Peter Soretta is uh, a staff writer for SlashFilm.com. Brad Oman, aka Ethan Anderton. Brad, welcome back to the SlashFilmCast. How are you doing,
2: Brad? I'm doing pretty well. It's good to be here, and uh, I like hanging out in Slash Film HQ. Awesome. Well, what we're doing here today is
0: a bonus episode uh, about Comic Con. 2016 in San Diego. All we're going to be do- doing is discussing all the stuff that went down at Comic Con this year. Uh, find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. You can always email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, Comic Con just ended a couple days ago, or yesterday, I guess, and yeah. wanted to get an episode out there because uh, a lot of stuff happened and wanted to hear your guys' take. Now, you both went to Comic Con. You both go for the full time, right? The full uh, four or five days?
2: Yeah, we were there since Wednesday. Uh, Right, the preview night,
0: right? Yeah. Now, uh, this is a year that's kind of interesting, right, Peter? Uh, There's this article at TheVerge.com about how uh, movie studios seem to have gotten tired of Comic-Con. And in your opinion, have movie studios kind of started abandoning Comic-Con in favor of their own events?
1: Um, Yes and no. I think what they are really getting tired of, Dave, is people pirating their footage from Comic-Con. Um, I do think you know a few years ago there was that whole uh mindset that comic Con did not equal box office. You know there was a bunch of movies like Scott Pilgrim and Tron Legacy that were big buzz films at comic con and didn 't quite you know reach their box office potential or what people had assumed from that buzz um,
0: yeah, I remember I did- when I went to comic con they built an entire arcade themed on Tron Legacy, right? Yeah. And Tron Legacy was not a bomb, but it did not do terribly well. Yeah. So But I
1: but I, I do think in recent years, like uh if you look Deadpool, uh with the first big buzz of that film, the launching point was Comic Con. Uh we we have yet to see what Suicide Squad will do, but Comic-Con was the launching point of that film too. And as was uh, Mad Max, Fury Road, and that did very well. Right. Um, but, but two of those films, the footage was presented in Hall H, and it was just supposed to be for Hall H. Special footage, un, you know, uh, not completed, un, uncompleted special effects, and that footage was pirated and put online um, and uh, went viral everywhere. You know what I mean? Uh, People uh, that that was the launching point for Deadpool and uh, Suicide Squad, but both of those studios were really angry um, (laughs) that 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 happened. It's kind of a weird dichotomy because I feel like they gained a lot more than they lost out of it.
0: Right. But um, yeah, I mean, studios just like to be in control of uh, the rollout of their materials. So when people. Cam a uh, copy of it. It it doesn't look good, you know. Just like it's not HD, doesn't have good sound. Um, so the idea that they can present yeah, it to this small You also go-
1: don't want that to be the first impression that the public at large has right. of that movie, right? But um, but it's weird this year, Dave. As you said, a lot of studios didn't go. Fox, who was pissed about the Deadpool footage being pirated last year, uh, I think even released a statement saying they weren't going this year because of um the piracy right um and uh thursday and friday in hall h had almost no movie presentation whatsoever it it, it was uh mostly taken up by tv and um it's not that comic-con is is um not as popular as it was It, it it seems even more popular when you're in san diego um it's just that uh, for movie studios, it seems like less of a presence.
0: Right. Peter, let me ask you this question. How many Comic-Cons have you been to, including this one?
1: I think this might have been my 10th Comic-Con. Wow.
0: How about you, Brad? Uh, how many how many Comic-Cons have you been to? This was my 7th year. Wow. All right. And I guess comparing this Comic-Con to previous years, what was it like?
2: I feel like it's gotten a little bit more lackluster as the years have gone on despite the fact that comic-con itself has gotten bigger every year since i started attending it seems like there's uh, over the past few years there's been one big day that is totally just like packed to the gills in hall h with the biggest stuff that everyone is excited to see and getting into hall h to see that stuff has become increasingly difficult even for people like us who have press badges, you know, we still have to wait in line like a lot of other people because passes to get in to actually guarantee that we can cover the panels are uh, few and far between. And as the system has changed over the years, it's gotten more difficult to wait in the line uh, late at night just, just so you can go wait in another line the next day. And so like this year uh, Saturday was the day that everyone was desperate to get into Hall H because we had the big Warner Brothers panel uh, where everyone knew they were going to have Wonder Woman and Justice League footage and then the, of course the Marvel panel which has become the staple of closing out the day on Saturday teasing all of their forthcoming movies. So it's it's still I'll never say that it's not exciting or fun because you know it, it's as as exhausting as it is once you're in it, you know, you get caught up in the hype and you you know you're having a blast and being in there feeling that energy from Hall H is totally exciting. Um there's there's really like nothing else like it. You're it's like being at a sporting event, you know, and watching, you know, your team you know win the big game. Right. So it's yeah, so even though it's gotten more like Luster, it's it's still a very exciting time. Peter, you agree with this?
1: I do. Um I, I do think the more years you're there, the more you see it's a, a lot of the same kind of stuff. Um this year I was feeling very uh I don't know. It it just it wasn't. um, I wasn't connecting with it as much uh, Thursday and Friday, especially since it's mostly TV stuff. Um, And I I was I was telling people "I, I think this might be my last year. And then Saturday hit, and once you know, from the first panel to the last panel, I was just like, okay, this is why I come to Comic Con.
0: So, what was the defining moment of Comic Con for you? Let's start with Peter.
1: The defining moment of Comic-Con. You know what? Usually, like I, I've, I wrote this article on com like the 15 greatest moments in Hall H. And uh, there's all sorts of great moments over the years that are like these huge memorable moments. Uh, but this year I don't think had like one standout moment. But I, w- I would say for me it was the Marvel panel that um, was from start to finish the most exciting.
0: All right. And before we continue, we should say – uh, if you consider stuff that was revealed at Comic-Con to be spoilers, probably just stop listening to this podcast right now uh, because we're going to give away all the announcements, all the stuff that happened in trailers, everything that happened at Comic-Con. So if you don't want to hear about it, then just tune out. Uh, but you know, don't complain later that we spoiled some things because that's what's going on right now. So uh, what about the Marvel presentation was so exciting, Peter? What specifically?
1: You know, Kevin Feige comes to Comic-Con almost every year and he – the people at Marvel know how to put on a show. Um, Not that like other studios like Warner Brothers don't. Warner Brothers traditionally has that – I'm not sure if you were there for this, Dave, but um, they traditionally every year the screen will expand around the arena to cover all the walls. And it's like this – really this show of showmanship uh, that has been unmatched um, in previous years and and marvel this year i i believe kind of matched them by doing that but also having like these holographic displays created by uh you know smoke and projection onto uh these displays and stuff and it, it was just um it's 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 hard to describe if you weren't there but it was it was just a spectacular show um but in terms of footage and stuff, they showed a lot of uh, footage from Guardians of the Galaxy, which I it, – The, the sequel to Guardians of the Galaxy, yeah. Yeah, Guardians of the Galaxy Vol. Volume, volume 2, um, which I think when people end up seeing this, none of this footage is online yet, um, will blow people away because um, it just – baby Groot alone. Uh, Groot, uh, if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy 1, by the end of the film – becomes much smaller than he was at the beginning of the film. And in this film, he is a one-foot-tall baby Groot. Um, and uh, seeing this footage, I, I have no doubt in my mind that every second of screen time that he is in that film is going to be you know, turned into a GIF or JIF, however you say it. He's going to own the internet for like a year.
0: Well, that's very cool and a, a lot to look forward to for fans of Guardians of the Galaxy 1. Brad, your defining moment of Comic-Con this year.
2: I mean, if uh, if we're going to count Hall H stuff, I, I have to agree with Peter and say that the, the Marvel panel definitely brought the thunder this year as they always do. You know, um it, the, what makes the Marvel panel so exciting every year is that uh they don't feel like they need to put the footage that they show in Hall H online immediately. Uh, they they bring it there just for the fans who were dedicated enough to go to San Diego to camp out overnight and get into Hall H and see all this stuff. Um, so the, the footage there is exclusive that makes it that much more exciting. And you know we're we're basically seeing the next four or five movies that Marvel uh, has coming down the pipeline, and we're seeing this footage before anybody else. So that's that's exciting in itself because you know we're the first people to see this and get an idea of what's to come. And every movie this year had a different flair. You know, we, we kind of know what to expect from Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, but, you know, there's, there's new excitement to it because we have Kurt Russell coming in to play as Star-Lord's father, something that was confirmed in the footage. And you get excited when you see stuff like Sylvester Stallone making a cameo in Guardians of the Galaxy 2. And then uh, with Thor Ragnarok, they didn't have much footage to show because they've only been shooting for a week or two now. But what director Taika Waititi did was he shot a documentary short in the vein of The Office featuring Thor living in Australia with this random guy named Daryl Jacobson and just sitting around in board shorts in an apartment going to his office and kind of bugging him. And it was this hilarious short with Chris Hemsworth as Thor in character that was just you know a funny mockumentary shot in lieu of actual footage. Um, and then, of course, they did, like, a quick sizzle reel of concept art and animatics, you know, teasing what's coming. And it's, it's definitely a different kind of Thor movie. I'm really excited to see how that turns out. And then you have Spider-Man Homecoming, which was this John Hughes-esque coming-of-age romantic comedy-style trailer. All this high school activity, you know, Peter be, uh, being Spider-Man, but he can't tell anybody about it. And it's, uh, it's definitely a new dynamic for uh, Peter Parker that we haven't seen on the big screen before in either the Sam Raimi uh, Spider-Man trilogy, or what uh, Mark Webb did with the Amazing Spider-Man franchise. So, like everything Marvel brought to the table this year was just—it was definitely interesting. Um, but beyond that, uh, no yeah,
1: the, the, I, I just want to ahead. point out there's this one moment in that Spider-Man footage that he's like in science class and he's on his laptop and he's watching a video on YouTube of someone shot um, from the the uh, airport uh, airport fight from uh, Captain America: Civil War. We see like Giant Man and spider-man doing his thing and you can tell like he's you know just a high schooler you know in 10th grade and he's like i wish i could tell everybody i did like look at that um but he's you know stuck there getting yelled at by the uh the teacher and it, it, it's just an, such an interesting and different movie than we've ever seen from marvel studios before at least from the footage we saw it really does remind me you said john hughes and it reminds me of all of, you know, the John Hughes High School movies.
0: Also, uh, Black Panther cast was revealed as well as uh, Captain Marvel, right?
1: Yes. And I, I, I think I wrote when Michael B. Jordan joined the the Black Panther cast, like how how can this cast get any better? Um, and it c- continues to get better. I, I don't know how they're pulling it off. And uh, you know what? I, I give Marvel, Marvel props for like – they aren't, you know, trying to be like, oh, because this is a black superhero, we need to put the, you know, the other. They they're going all for it. Like they, this is a black cast, uh, and it is uh, like an amazing black cast.
0: Right. One of the big announcements that I heard about, uh, and that kind of like f- for me when I heard about this, that would have been like the moment. And so I'm surprised you guys haven't mentioned it. Is that a Blair Witch sequel was. Uh, revealed right like all this time leading up to Comic-Con uh, a bunch of filmmaking folks like Keith Calder a very talented producer have been teasing this movie he'd been working on called The Woods and he said hey come see you know the panel on The Woods like trust me there's going to be something interesting going on turns out The Woods is actually going to be a Blair Witch sequel
1: and- well, it, it it wasn't even a panel, Dave. They had a screening, a midnight. I think it was mm. a midnight screening of the the woods somewhere in San Diego, and I was supposed to go there, but I was actually stuck in line for all age um, for the next day. And um, at the screening, when people showed up at that screening, there was like you know billboards and posters for the woods everywhere. And by the time, uh, you know, the movie started, ten minutes into the movie, it became apparent to everybody in the audience that. This was not the woods. This was, you know, a sequel to the Blair Witch Project. But by by the time the audience left that theater, all the posters and the billboards in the the, uh, lobby of that theater had been changed into, you know, it's now called Blair Witch is the the title of the film. So um, that got a lot of buzz at at the con. But it wasn't actually a panel. They actually showed the whole movie.
0: Well, some of you hearing what Peter just said might be thinking to yourself – uh, hey wasn't there already a Blair Witch sequel? And the answer to that question is yes, and apparently it was very bad. so this is what is called a requel, I believe right
1: <laughs> that 's the first time i've heard that term, but that, I like that <laughs> it's like I mean, a I redo
0: that... of uh, of a sequel, so there was a, a a movie called a Book of Shadow Shadows Blair Witch Two that came out in two thousand
1: It was horrible
0: and apparently it... yeah apparently it was awful, right.
1: Yeah, it's not a found footage film. It's barely connected to the first film, and this is a sequel to uh, you know the first film in the same way that um, I guess you know Neil Blomkamp's trying to do his Aliens sequel, which is a sequel to you know Aliens, and basically discounts the last two, right? Or I guess Terminator Genesis discounted the last couple Terminator films. Um,
2: so, did you guys see uh, The Woods or Blair Witch? Well, unfortunately, this is one of the many things that happens when you're at Comic-Con is there's so much to do uh, that you end up missing out on plenty of other cool things that you could have done. So unfortunately, we were stuck waiting in line for Hall H while the screening was happening across town, and so we were not able to be part of the uh, special reveal that happened at Comic-Con.
0: I got you. Peter, on Friday night, I think you tweeted out an image uh, that showed a massive line and said, this is the the line for Hall H for Saturday. And it was just this just huge throng of people. Yeah. Uh, So did you wait overnight or did you were you able to get in through normal means the next day?
1: We um, well, first of all, that line started, I believe, Wednesday night. (laughs) <laughs> all the uh for Saturday. Uh, there were some people in line Wednesday night.
0: Right because Saturday um, was the big day. Warner Brothers, Marvel, all those things, right?
1: Yeah, uh Saturday. Yeah. And uh luckily we had some fr- friends of our uh, slash film readers who uh allowed us to get in line with them. Uh they had been waiting since Friday morning. Oh my and god. E- <laughs> and even then, I think uh we were far back in line when we got in line with you know, we had to cover Panels in Hall H on Friday So we got in line with them at like 7pm on a Friday night and I I, I I I would venture to guess like ha, ha, how, how many people do you Think were in front of us Brad
2: Oh gosh I mean well, We got C bracelets So we, we had to be somewhere in between You know like 3,500 and, and 5,000 So like there may, maybe up to 4,000 people in front of us Wow.
0: So, uh, let me ask you this. Was there anything you saw that disappointed you this year at Comic-Con? Anything you saw that kind of fell flat and that you thought, uh, that's probably not going to do well? Peter?
1: You know, I I don't have anything like that. I I do have a couple more things I would like to talk about that I think were great. Uh, Valerian, the the next film from Luc Besson, um, is this adaptation of this old sci-fi graphic novel uh, which, you know, is – Somewhat become the basis of like, you know, the uh, Star Wars and a bunch of other films. Um, and th- this, you know, I wasn't expecting much from from this film. It's not something that people are talking about or we're talking about. But um, the footage he showed was kind of batshit crazy. It was um, if you liked the fifth element, this is that kind of thing. But uh, with, you know, modern, you know, special effects and CG and you know it, it, the footage ends with this like, I want to say forty-five second like one shot take of like this uh, Dane DeHaan uh, basically running through walls using a gun, his the sci-fi gun to like create these pods in which to jump off of, and it, 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 it's just so insane. And I, I can't wait for the footage to be online for people to see. Um, but I think it took a lot of people by surprise. And that was like one of the only movie panels uh, on Thursday. And the other film that took me by surprise, and I think everybody has probably seen this trailer by now because Warner Brothers put it online, was uh, Skull Island. Um, right. Did you the see new, that,
0: Dave? The new King Kong movie, right? Yeah. Have you seen that trailer? I haven't had a chance to check out that trailer, but I've heard really amazing things about it.
1: Yeah, I I really didn't. You know, I think I was just expecting. I knew this was a prequel or like you know set on Skull Island, but I I didn't really think what that meant. And seeing this trailer, you know, I was I was just picturing another King Kong movie. And seeing this trailer, it's a completely different take. It's like Apocalypse Now meets you know Predator, or and seeing you know, it's just done. That trailer is just so well done. I'm not sure the movie is going to live up to expectations, but it really gave me the same, like, kind of chills that the first Godzilla trailer gave me. Um, and uh, it's – I just love – seeing Kong that huge, I think he's, like, 130 feet tall in this movie. And uh, the, the way it's played out in the trailer, it's just – it's just I don't know. I, I was just wowed.
0: Uh well I'm very curious to see how well it'll do. It's directed by Jordan Vote Roberts, right? Uh who up until now hasn't done anything of this scope before, correct?
1: Yeah, the last film he did was Kings of Summer, so this is another situation like uh Jurassic World. Uh you know, the the director of that did a Sundance film called Safety Not Guaranteed. So um and d- depending on what your viewpoint is, that was either a huge success or a failure, but uh this seems interesting. I mean, it, 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 the the trailer is very exciting. And I know you stay away from trailers, Dave, but...
0: I've watched some trailers. In fact, uh, the trailers I did see that you guys haven't mentioned yet uh, are... Uh, I had a chance to catch the Wonder Woman trailer. And I also saw the Justice League trailer, which entertained me greatly. Because there is more lightheartedness and joking in that one trailer than in the entirety of the five-hour-long experience known as Batman v. Superman Ultimate Edition, which I I thought was just kind of their way of assuring us, hey, guys, trust us, things are going to be better in the future. What did you think of the Justice League trailer?
2: Peter and I actually were just talking about that earlier today, and I, I offhandedly mentioned to him that, like, there's there's only a couple jokes in the Wonder Woman trailer, but that in itself is, is funnier than Batman v. Superman <laughs> Justice. Um, yeah, but uh, with Justice League, I was definitely... Impressed, and I'm definitely I'm much more hopeful than I was after seeing Batman v Superman. I, I didn't hate Batman v Superman, uh, but I definitely didn't love it. And this instilled in me a hope that perhaps they can get the DC Comics universe back on a track that isn't you know overtly somber and dark just for the sake of you know being dark. There there's a lightheartedness to it that doesn't feel like it's trying too hard to correct the course. It feels natural. I I liked. Uh, the dynamic that uh, Ezra Miller brings to the table as the Flash. He feels like he's going to be uh, the Spider-Man of the Justice League team. And I, I still love Ben Affleck as Bruce Wayne. Um, I think that having Wonder Woman be on part of the Samba is fantastic because she was easily the best part of Batman v Superman. And yeah, it's everything we saw from Justice League looks like it's going in the right direction towards get, just getting that whole comic book universe back on track but i think that the the movie to keep an eye on for sure is wonder woman because i i was positively floored by the footage they showed in this first trailer it it looks astounding uh patty jenkins clearly knows how to direct action even though she hasn't done anything of this scope before uh it looks like a gorgeous movie gal gadot clearly has this presence as you know a goddess uh who is you know just as gorgeous as she is strong And I I think it's going to be, you know, on the same level as like a Captain America. Wow. Uh,
0: Yeah. Patty Jenkins, wasn't she on Thor 2 before she was unceremoniously removed from that film, if I'm not
2: mistaken? Yes, that's right.
0: Uh, I was also pretty uh, astonished at the Wonder Woman trailer. Uh, Just the visual of her on what I believe is a World War I battlefield uh, and deflecting a mortar with her shield. Uh, It's it's pretty incredible to see. Uh, so very impressive, and uh, I'm really looking forward to that movie as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, Peter, other things you said you wanted to bring up? Anything else?
1: Yeah, one um, one other thing I wanted to bring up, uh, I saw the documentary uh, The Giant's Dream, I think it was called. Um, basically, it's The Making of the Iron Giant, and um, it was directed by Michael Giacchino's brother, uh, Anthony Giacchino, who did uh, the amazing... Uh, behind the scenes documentary on uh, Ghost Protocol, I believe. Mm. Um, but uh, th- this is like a one-hour documentary, and it's going to be on the Blu-ray release, I think, coming later this year. And um, as a fan of the Iron Giant, I, I, you know, I, I hadn't delved that far in it, when the Iron Giant was coming out. I, I believe I would. I, I, I think we could say this: uh, that none of us were following this industry. Um, as closely as we are now, right. To, so to, to get the historical perspective of where you know the studios were and how this came about, and and even um, even I I didn't really uh, know where it came from in Brad Bird's perspective of you know he uh, his sister was killed uh, by her uh, her her husband at the time uh, shot to death. And, um, Iron Giant is basically about that. Um,
0: it's a very kind of, uh, anti war message that Iron Giant has. Yeah.
1: Right? Well, I mean, his pitch to when he pitched it was basically, what if a weapon, what, what if a gun could feel and didn't want to be a gun?
0: <laughs> right.
1: And, um, I don't know. It, it's just an incredible documentary and it's well done. It's not just like one of those cookie cutter, um, you know, uh on a DVD documentary. It's is like something that it's good enough to be watched in theaters and um it probably won't be. But uh uh it was funny, Brad Bird was at the panel and he said, uh we were in a small room at uh, Comic Con and he said there's probably more people in this room watching this documentary than watched, you know, Iron Giant the the day it came out in theaters. Um That's brutal. but I yeah, brutal but I, I think he knows it's been uh greatly, greatly uh, received um, in, in years later on um, Blu-ray and DVD. So, um,
0: I mean, it, it is an act of faith to make a documentary like that because, you know, not everyone who saw Iron Giant is going to want to see that documentary. So you're, you're appealing to a fraction of an already small audience. But it sounds like the subject matter was important enough that he felt... Uh, firstly, The Iron Giant, at this point, is a widely beloved film. And... Uh, it sounds like he felt like the the story behind it was important enough to tell. So, uh, yeah, and, it,
1: it, and it's one of those documentaries that goes side by side with like you know a Pixar story or uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty. If you if you like those kind of films, um, you need to see this. And I think it's going to be on the Iron Giant Blu ray that comes out in September. I think.
0: Gotcha. And what what is the name of it? You said uh,
1: the Giant's Dream.
0: The Giant's Dream. Cool. Uh, anything else, Peter, that you want to mention before I go to Brad?
1: Um, I think Brad's probably going to mention this. So I'll I'll let him talk about the Star Trek premiere because I think that was um oh, one of the yeah. most great moments that for, for for both of us. It was was kind of outside of Comic Con, but it was at Comic Con. It
0: was Comic Con adjacent. Yes. So you guys saw the premiere of Star Trek Beyond, right?
2: Yes, yeah. This was the. Uh, I, I think it had already premiered in London at this point. So this was, even though they called it the world premiere, I believe it was technically the U.S. premiere. Um, but yeah, this this was a an outdoor premiere uh, in Embarcadero Park, which is just behind Hall H, or, or I mean, well, the Convention Center in San Diego. Uh, and apparently, this was the first ever outdoor IMAX theater that they put together out in the park for this Star Trek Beyond premiere. It was like a temp IMAX theater, I assume? Yeah, they, they, yeah. they put it up in the park just for this occasion. Um, and so what, uh, what was even cooler about this uh, was, um, was they had a live orchestra on hand to play the score for Star Trek Beyond with the movie instead of having you know the actual soundtrack uh, play uh, with the movie itself. Um, right, which is that, crazy
0: because it means they made an extra version of the film – that had no soundtrack. Uh, and I, I just saw Fellowship of the Ring with with uh, Live Orchestra. It was an incredible experience. Uh, let me ask you this question. Was there a choir there? Because I've listened to the soundtrack for Star Trek Beyond, and there are definitely choral parts to it.
2: Yes, they did. They had a choir, and they uh, Michael Giacchino actually pointed out that the choir, even though we couldn't see them, they were situated essentially behind the IMAX screen.
0: Wow. Crazy. So, what, So what was... Uh, that experience like, Brad? Did you like the film?
2: Yeah, I, I thought the film... I, I wasn't, like, over the moon for it. It's uh, it's a solid Star Trek sequel. I thought Justin Lin did a really good job of blending this uh, modern blockbuster action style with some of the classic aspects of the Star Trek series. Uh, I like the way, you know, he, he divided the crew of the Enterprise and gave them, you know, each their own little thing to do aside in order to kind of, like, figure out the, the problem of getting off this planet... Um, there's definitely parts of it that feel like they belonged in an episode of the original series. You know, the opening scene itself with Kirk dealing with this alien race and having negotiations for this peace treaty go wrong. Uh, there, there was all these cool little parts that felt like they were homages and stuff, just lifted from the original series. And so it was, it was this cool blend of you know what some hardcore Trekkies haven't liked about J.J. Abrams' new uh, reboot franchise. And what some of the, you know, more contemporary fans of Star Trek haven't really uh, or didn't really enjoy much about the original series. And I think that was a a great way to, like, bring sort of these two sects of audiences together and give them something that that everybody can enjoy. And it still has some problems. Um, Mainly, I think Idris Elba's villain uh, leaves something to be desired. He needs a more substantial and, um, you know a motivation that is a little bit more clear and actually makes a bit more sense. I, I didn't buy into what he was, uh, striving for and what he was upset about. And that, that was the only thing that really bugged me. But yeah, the, the premiere experience itself was just, uh, it was something that was really exciting because it's, it's happening outside. The entire cast is there. Uh, before the movie even started, they had the, the orchestra start off by playing the star Trek themes and they launched all these fireworks in the air and so the the experience itself was something you know just to enjoy whether or not you actually ended up enjoying the movie, but it just it was a bonus that you know that the movie itself actually turned out to be a very entertaining you know summer sequel.
0: Very cool. Did they have subtitles on the screen by the way? Just out of curiosity.
2: They did not. Oh, interesting.
0: For my fellowship uh, screening, they had subtitles because you want you're kind of there to hear the orchestra when you go to the to a, a screening like that. Uh, but I guess uh, that's not really the case in your your situation.
1: Any other uh, notable? I would, say, I would, I would say this, Dave. I've been to um, uh, the uh, Hollywood Bowl and seen a, a bunch of films like this before, and usually, you're right. The dialogue is secondary to the music, right? And it, usually, you wouldn't want to experience a film for the first time in that manner. But I don't know how they did it or what kind of you know. Work went into creating uh, the sound system that they performed this premiere at, but it was flawless. Like there was parts in the movie that I was watching and almost forgetting that the music was being played live. Yeah, I, I know that's, that's what's
0: probably- great about it is when you just forget that it's actually even happening. It means they're doing a really good job of kind of blending into the uh, uh, to the action on screen. So yeah. Uh, But it sounds like an amazing experience for sure. So anything else about Comic-Con this year that you guys want to talk about?
2: One of the things that I think has been interesting uh, about how Comic-Con has sort of changed over the years is it seems like studios are taking the route now of instead of doing uh, just panels and teasing their movie – um, they're just bringing the more movies to Comic Con, and now most of the time they're movies that come out in the next two or three months anyway. Right. But I, but I feel like the number of screenings that have been happening at Comic Con over the past two or three years has like doubled or even tripled. Um, I, like I, I remember my first couple years, there were only like a couple movies screening here and there. And they were usually comic book movies or very genre specific movies. Like uh, there was a premiere for Cowboys and Aliens one year. They did an early screening of Captain America, the first Avenger. Um, but like this year there were tons of screenings. You know, they had the premiere for Star Trek Beyond. They had a sausage party uh, screening. They had a screening for Nerve. They did the Blair Witch. Uh, was there anything else, Peter?
1: Snowden. Snowden.
2: There. Yeah, that was a weird one.
1: Yeah, um, which I I didn't go to. Uh, Jack from their site went to. He's under embargo until September, but um, I have heard generally good things about it. I heard me.
0: Oliver Stone being at Comic Con was kind of a real trip.
1: Yeah, yeah,
2: not not I mean, quite as much of a trip as when Francis Ford Coppola came and brought that strange movie Twix to Hall H and just kind of confused everybody. Wow, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I wonder
0: what the calculus is there, Brad. You know, that, uh, is it easier to just do a screening or more effective from a word-of-mouth perspective? Maybe what, I, it's easier for the talent because they don't need to be on stage for like 40 minutes, right? I don't know. I'm just I think
1: it's a lot cheaper. I think to get into Hall H, you got to rent out Hall H. I'm not sure if most people know that, but studios actually pay Comic-Con right. to be at Comic-Con. And so for a company like Sony – who brought Sausage Party to San Diego? Them renting out a you know a comedy um, venue for a party and renting out a movie theater was probably a lot lot cheaper right. than renting out a uh, you know space in Hall H. And um, and I, I should say I, I we both saw Sausage Party and it's hilarious. It's 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 a movie that um, I I can't believe. Anybody came not only came up with the idea, but sold the idea to a company that was willing to spend tens of millions of dollars.: Wow, on this idea. It, it is absurd and awesome and uh, filthy in more ways than you can possibly imagine, and if you like puns, you'll love this film.
0: Cool. Well, that's sausage party, and uh, I think the release date is soon, right? It's going to be out in August twelfth. So, yeah, just in a couple weeks. Uh, Peter, any closing thoughts on the Comic Con this year?
1: Um, One other thing I wanted to bring up, Dave, is uh, it's weird. There's now this, you know, not just with Comic Con, but with everything. I feel like there's this sense of entitlement uh, among people not at these events that they should be getting this footage online. And and maybe that leads to this piracy and of of trailers and stuff like that. But um, it's it's very weird to see this uh, while you're there because people are online getting angry at Marvel for you know debuting, for showing unfinished footage of you know they've been shooting I think ten days into Spider Man, and I was getting tweets of like you know people really angry that they were not being shown the footage. (laughs) Um, And it's weird too That like other studios Like Warner Brothers Basically put up All their footage online That you know That Justice League trailer That you talk about Isn't really a trailer It's like two scenes Cut together And it's one of these things That Feels like it Was just cut For a convention And wasn't supposed To be consumed By mass audiences You know In that way And it it feels weird That they released it online But I, I understand The pressure from the studio standpoint. But um it's going to be weird in these coming years seeing how Comic-Con evolves uh as you know, we have this uh world who ex- uh, you know that expects everything to be available the minute, you know, it happens at like one of these conventions to be available online for everybody and w- what's the point of going to one of these conventions if you know, everything is going to be streamed online? As it happens,
0: didn't they live stream uh, several panels this year?
1: Uh, yeah, Comic Con has this video on demand service called Comic Con HQ, which they're basically just, you know, trying to create this whole online channel, I guess. Um, and they streamed a, a couple of TV panels, but no, none of the movie panels were streamed online. Gotcha. Um,
0: yeah, it's interesting. There, I think there's a lot of forces at play there uh, in what you discussed, Peter. The general entitlement of millennials, which uh, a, a generation that I consider myself somewhat part of—I think I'm f- somewhat close to the millennial age group—but um, <laughs> also uh, the idea that we now have like live streaming of everything. People expect to be able to see anything whenever they want, uh, and like, why shouldn't it be available online? But I also think, from a, a marketing standpoint, you want to put your best foot forward, uh, and so like. You don't want a cammed, crappy version of it online, uh, so you might as well put the re- you know the real one. Yeah, um,
1: and it's also like these companies are creating this these trailers or these sizzle reels that are you know with very unfinished footage, which you know on a screen in Hall H looks fine to us there, but if it's released in HD quality online and you know sites like home do you know. Uh, frame-by-frame breakdowns of it's not what they want <laughs> um, you know yeah, i just
0: i remember back in the day when i went to comic-con they'd say like hey guys this footage is just for you this is like barely uh like the iphone 3g had just come out you know <laughs> and so it was like hey this footage is just for you we're not you know so let's not videotape it let's not spread it and It just felt to me like that was, a like, depending on the decency of thousands of anonymous strangers felt like a pretty losing strategy. And as technology has gotten way better to upload and stream, uh, I think that's just becoming more and more clear. So, yeah. Anyway, uh, sounds like you guys had a fun time despite being completely exhausted. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I I think I'm going to be back there next year. We'll see. (laughs) You just Uh, said
0: you weren't going to go back.
1: No, no. I I was saying that before Saturday, Dave. Before Saturday, I was kind of in the mindset that I I, I'm, I was over Comic Con, right? But being there in that, I mean, you have you went what two years, Dave?
0: I don't even remember. It could have been three. I don't recall.
1: It been three. <laughs> um, you got to admit, being in there Hall H on Saturday, it it is an indescribable experience. It, like you were you know there there is no super bowl for movies but it that if there were <laughs> that would be it
0: it's you know it's so weird that you say that uh, firstly i would think the super bowl for movies is the oscars peter that's pretty clear right no but that's that's
1: a celebration like well, i i guess maybe yeah i got to think that's the that's the super bowl for movies but, but you're not, you're not experiencing anything new there other than awarding Oh uh, no! And I would say this, Dave. It's going to be interesting because next year D twenty three Expo, Disney's own Comic Con, uh, basically is the week before Comic Con, um, which uh, m- means that probably Disney will not be at Comic Con, and maybe Marvel won't be at Comic Con.
0: Right. And, so it'll uh, really, you know, test out, you know, whether Comic Con is going to be a, a valuable home for films. Uh, because if Disney can just do its own thing and get an equal amount of buzz and reaction, like why would they ever yeah. go to Comic-Con and need to compete with like 10 other things?
1: Yeah. And D- Disney has really, I think taken it on. Kevin Feige, uh, has been a fan of Comic-Con since, you know, before he was with Disney. And I, um, now Disney is doing their own D 23 convention every other year. So it's, uh, not every year, but every other year and star Wars celebration happens every year now. Uh, until infinity Uh, so uh, I I think it's only a matter of time until D23 is going to be every year and um, why would Disney even go to Comic Con at that point
0: Right. well it's a tough future for Comic Con they have a lot of things competing against them and a lot of factors aligned against them and uh, we'll see how it goes so thank you guys so much for sharing uh, your perspective on Comic Con this year uh, thanks for listening to this bonus episode of the Slash Cast. We'll see you guys next week with our review of Jason Bourne.